From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour as we carry on through our 23rd year on the air. Thanks to all of our great listeners, all our great underwriters, uh, founder of this, uh, Bishop Wiegand and uh, Monsignor Murphy, father father of Sylvester McDermott, and of course, uh, all of our wonderful guests that have come on over all those years. And we're going to welcome one of those now, uh, Clarissa uh, Chichioko. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right, Clarissa. Yes, that's how you pronounce it. Thank you for saying it right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, let's see. Let me guess. Italian? I'm Filipino. Oh, okay. Uh, that was my second <laughs> guess. Oh, a, a big, a big uh, saint day coming up for a Filipino saint. Yes, yes. <laughs> in fact, we, we will have a big celebration here in the Diocese of Sacramento for that. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, well, tell, where, where are you located? So I am originally from Modesto. Mm-hmm. I grew up there and went to college in San Diego, studied psychology, then did parish ministry in San Jose mm-hmm. for about 10 years. And we recently relocated to Rancho Cordova. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, welcome to the diocese. Thank you. Everyone's been so nice. Did, did you go to the University of San Diego, or where did you go? I went to San Diego State University. Oh, very good. The Aztecs. Go Aztecs, yes. <laughs> they just built a new stadium. They're... I need to go see. I haven't been in so long. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a, I, I think they have a new campus in Mission Bay, maybe, and a second campus, not a, you know, like a satellite campus, and they built the stadium over there. So it's a beautiful campus, though. I've been there a few times. That's a great place to go to school. Yes, I loved being near the beach. The weather, um, the weather never changes. It's just like always 72 degrees. It was perfect, perfect weather. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, well, how long have you been in Rancho Cordova? We just moved here about six months ago. Oh, wow. So you're really newcomers. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, oh. and the the summer has been very hot. But <laughs> <laughs> I was just <laughs> I was going to mention that uh, uh, there's one of one of my favorite priests here in the diocese is from Ireland, and when he first got here, you know, I mean, he's a he's a you know a foreign missionary coming from Ireland, you know, to to be a diocesan priest in Sacramento, and he said they arrived in July got off the plane in San Francisco and thought, oh, this is just like Ireland. You know? <laughs> and his first assignment was in Reading, which <laughs> is just brutally hot. <laughs> so, uh, the, yeah, the Valley Heat uh, is something it takes a little getting used to. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. We, we're getting there. You're getting there. Good. I hope hope your air conditioning works well. And if it doesn't, you can just hop on Highway 50 and head up to Lake Tahoe. Yep, we'll be out of here. We need to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, it's 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 sure good to have you on the air with us. Tell us, um, tell us about a, a little bit about yourself and your and your ministry. Sure. So I let's see where do I begin. Um, I am well, as I said, in Rancho Cordova now, but I was in um, the Bay Area, and while I was there, I was doing parish youth ministry. And another fellow youth minister came up to me and said, hey, 
Um, I heard you bring in Christopher West, who's a very popular Theology of the Body speaker right. to your parish. And so it's great to know that there are other, you know, TOB um, enthusiasts out there. Would you like to start a youth retreat for teens um, teaching Theology of the Body? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And we thought, you know, we would have maybe 20, 30, 40 teens coming on that first retreat. And we ended up having 225 come to that very first retreat. Oh, my God. Did you, did you oh, alert the caterer? Yeah. <laughs> we definitely did because, wow. oh, wow, it was, it was such a blessing to have. And a surprise, but not really, you know, not really a surprise to have so many families wanting to send their teens to hear this message. How long so ago was, was that? That was 2014. Wow. Boy, that's, that's very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we, we, you know, realize there's such a, a hunger and a thirst for these deep encounter experiences, and so we, we did it the next year and the next year, and you know, invited young adults, um, religious, to come help out and be volunteers, and um, yeah, and we had a couple. Actually, we had one retreat in um, Sacramento Diocese and another in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're just going where, you know, the Holy Spirit wants us to go. Boy, that's right. Well, you can't go wrong following the Holy Spirit, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. So where did you, where and what sort of training did you get uh, in Theology of the Body? How does, how does that work? Yeah, for, for myself, um, you know, I started with reading the books, and mm-hmm. someone actually gifted me Theology of the Body for Beginners by Christopher West mm-hmm. uh, right when I graduated college, which was the perfect time for me um, to read that book. And um, I Googled it. I, said, I, I, I typed in Theology of the Body um, classes, mm-hmm. and there were some in the Oakland Diocese. Um, they were offering, you know, Saturday classes, and then I wanted more, and so I, I found the Theology of the Body Institute in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and um, Christopher West is um, one of the senior instructors there, and um, it's a one-week uh, long course, but it's also like a retreat, too. Mm-hmm. Um, very powerful retreat experience. In person. In person, right. yes. And so they offer um, the basic courses like Theology of the Body 1, 2, which I took in Pennsylvania in person. And um, they have these other topics as well. And they're actually doing it, um, offering it online now as well because of the pandemic. And so now I'm a mom. I have two little ones, mm-hmm. and I haven't been able to get out there. So I started taking courses online. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm a certification um, student. So I'm in their program of just uh, getting certified and um, have done, you know, other retreats as well. But definitely from the Theology of the Body Institute and other local um, classes offered in California. Wow. So are you hooked up in this diocese yet? I'm starting to be, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're in Rancho Cordova. Is that St. John Vianney? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful parish. So the, the theology, of, 
Theology of the Body Conference Day coming up Saturday, October the 15th, 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. at St. Joseph Church in Lincoln. Tell us a little bit, bit about what will happen at the conference. Sure. So actually, there is another part on Friday, October 14th, mm-hmm. from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m., and that will be for the youth. Okay. So uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers, those getting confirmed are all invited to come that evening. Um, and I'll just be talking about um, the talk will be called, Did You Know Your Body Has a Theology? Mm-hmm. And so I will be sharing that idea with them and and Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body um, uh, talk that he gave in Rome so the, uh, were his Wednesday audiences that right, gave to right. you know, thousands of people. And, um, of course, I can't share all of it that night, <laughs> but I'm going to be um, talking about you know, that body-soul unity that we have um, as human persons and that human anthropology that Pope John Paul II talks about. Um, and then on Saturday, it will be for you know, catechists, parents, anyone interested in learning more about the theology of the body. So I'll be giving a couple talks on that day, and we'll have some breakout speakers as well, going more in-depth, um, talking about natural family planning and, you know, other really great topics. Um, yeah. So did you ever ponder what, or maybe he explained it, uh, what was John Paul II thinking? What was, what prompted this, do you know? So there was a major synod coming up on um, marriage and the family. Mm -hmm. And so he was preparing for the synod, and um, in the intro of the Man, Woman, He Created Them book, um, which compiled all of his Wednesday audiences in a text, um, the intro says that Pope John Paul II loved human love. So I think he, you know, he just was passionate about love in the first place mm-hmm. um so god probably you know inscribed that in his heart to just be really attracted to love and so he was preparing for this um synod and um he actually began writing the theology of the body before he was even pope so during um the conclave of uh, pope john paul the first he brought his manuscript of the Theology of the Body there, and he was working on it. Um, so after his election, I guess it just made sense for this to be, you know, his first major mm-hmm. teaching of his pontificate. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah you know, you, you, you mentioned that. It's just, just the word love, you know, and the, the fact that we as human beings are capable of that. Um, it goes It goes beyond... All the cells in our body and and the hair on our head and everything else, you know, and and uh, we're, we're unique that way. That capacity to love, and I don't think anybody can say it comes from anywhere but from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we were made for this. We were made to love and to receive love. And this is, you know, I feel like you know, in our hearts, we know this, and it's part of our history, unfortunately, that we are also fallen human beings, so it's difficult to love, and it's difficult to receive love. Um, So, with Pope John Paul II's, you know, um, I'm going to say a new language, but 
a relatable language of what love means and and it's coming from God, the Trinity. Um, it's a new lens of seeing how we are meant to live this life and how we are how we act in order to be happy. If if a complete stranger, uh, you know, over dinner or something said. You 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 do what? You teach theology of the body uh, for the Catholic Church. What? Uh, let's say they're an atheist, um, and and then they're not contentious. They just they're curious. You know, like you meet somebody new and you're interested in what they do. How would you describe it to to person who not a person of faith, but just somebody who's just curious? How would you describe theology of the body? I would describe it as how I would describe being Catholic mm-hmm. is that, you know, being Catholic and, you know, growing up, I was the Catholic one in my friend group. Mm-hmm. And I just, <laughs> I know that feeling. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know how it is. Yes, and I do. They were all I, eating hot dogs on Friday night at the football game and I couldn't, I'm, I'm dating myself, but you know, the, the, <laughs> and, they, and as my dad told me, they're all looking at you because they know you're not supposed to have one. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And I, you know, I, I I don't know, I can't remember much about my catechism growing up, but I do remember thinking being Catholic was about, you know, Sunday mass and um, following a bunch of rules to get to heaven Mm -hmm. and um, first communion and confirmation. Those are the two big, you know, celebrations I remember. But I didn't really know what was happening at that time. Right. Sounds like we have the same teachers. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Maybe they added, you know, a few icebreakers in there as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't know that being Catholic meant living a sacramental life. Mm-hmm. And so when I speak about theology of the body, I, I you know, I... I, I won't go into Pope John Paul II's beautiful language and his big words, but I'll say, you know, the body, there's something beneath the surface in our bodies. There's something beneath just this, the matter that we see. We're not just physical beings. We, ha- we have souls. We are embodied spirits. And so, you know, we need to see that there is something beneath what we see. And that's how God made us. And we're made in this image and likeness, um, and not just in, made in the image and likeness of, you know, this uh, being a dove or right. a man on a throne with white long hair. Right. <laughs> we're made in the image of a Trinitarian God who loves, who gives love, and who receives love from the other. And so I didn't know this about our bodies. I didn't. I didn't have the lens to see this, and so um, just I just share with people that our bodies are signs pointing to something greater than ourselves, and yeah, it, I, it starts to connect the dots when people are um, are hearing about theology of the body, like, oh, God, God reveals Himself through the body, mm-hmm. and so they start to get more curious. Um, and then I, you know, hand them a book. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at workshops and just in discussions, especially with teenagers, but but young adults too, um, or any adults really, what are the toughest questions you get? Mm. There are 
a few, and one would be, did God um, create gay people? Mm-hmm. And then another one would be um, something along the lines of being transgender. Um, mm-hmm. You know, pe- why do people, um, why are there transgender people, or why am I wrestling with, you know, my my gender, my sexuality? Mm-hmm. Um, so some those are are some of the toughest ones and you know sometimes i'll have a priest alongside me mm-hmm. um and you know i definitely gather up these resources um to help answer these questions because i'm not an expert in these you know giving these responses but um there are a lot of ministries out there that can help someone really who's seeking answers to these questions um to help find them what about you know the 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 concepts of theology of the body. What about what about that? What sort of questions? You know, things like NFP. What I know, a lot of people kind of throw their hands up and say, "Well, NFP might work for you, but I'm not interested." Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get those questions as well. My husband and I we we just did a um, workshop for marriage prep on married love and the gift of life Mm -hmm. and young couples will ask well how do i know when i'm ready to have a child because i have so many dreams for myself or um or i'm i'm scared of having a child i'm scared of of um it interfering in our marriage or it being the wrong time Uh, i'm scared to you know to get off birth control or something Mm -hmm. like that and Mm -hmm. so um, we do talk about, you know, the gift of natural family planning and how it's so beneficial in so many ways for a couple to use. Um, and we talk about chastity and, you know, not using the other just for, you know, pleasure or gratification, but really communicating, you know, needs um, that for a couple, um, communicating, you know, when, uh, and inviting God into those conversations about marriage and, and family life. How often do, do people hope to use NFP to help them conceive? Oh, I, I don't know the numbers, but I very, I would, I have a, a friend, a very close friend of mine who used it to achieve pregnancy because mm-hmm. she was having a very, very difficult time after, even after a miscarriage, mm-hmm. um, wondering like what's what's going on with my body and so she paired up with an instructor um and the instructor helped her to you know chart her cycle um and she she found that there was a um you know our bodies are so beautiful she they found a shortage of progesterone of the hormone and um through prayer and through help from the nfp instructor and doctors um they could see when her, you know, cycle, the fertile part of her cycle, and, you know, um, they, her and her husband were able to conceive, and they have hmm. a one-year-old, one-year-old boy now. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, boy, when you, you mentioned miscarriage, that, that's, that's such a mystery to me, and, and I know how, how painful it is. My, my wife had a miscarriage, and, and it is, yeah, I know it's it seems a bit different, but it is. It's losing a child, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and you just wonder 
you, 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 you do, you look up at the heavens and say, why? You know, I don't understand this, you know, and, and I guess that's one of those mysteries we won't understand. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. And um, so how many children do you have in addition to your angel child, Bob? Six. Six. Wow. That's beautiful. We're trying to keep the schools open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fer- fertility rate is, is, is dropping everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in my hometown, they they are they're they're they're, they're closing schools because uh, in the public schools because they don't have enough students. You know, wow. and uh, um, and you know, it, it, we see so many towns in California where they've kind of pulled up the drawbridge, you know, and said, "Well, we like things the way they are. We're not we don't want to grow," and, and so the population ages, and and you don't bring in young families uh, because housing gets too expensive and and you, you you don't have any kids to go to the schools anymore yeah and you know on on the other side of that i've read that so many people have pulled their children out of the schools and are choosing to homeschool as well there's a lot and of homeschooling going on yeah a lot of homeschooling and i you know, I'm going to try that. I have a four-year-old, so, you know, I have the curriculum waiting for me downstairs. But um, uh, I have also a friend who is doing um, magazines called, uh, her ministry is called TOB Parent School, mm-hmm. and she sends these magazines to the homes. You can subscribe. And so, you know, I have the curriculum here at home for, you know, the subjects, but I also have these other um, uh uh, books and magazines to help teach my children about theology of the body, which I know mm-hmm. you know she wouldn't be getting at a public school. So, right, and you know, and, and, uh, interestingly, the in the last couple of years, um, all the great Catholic schools here in the Diocese of Sacramento saw an increase in enrollment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think partly because they they managed through really heroic effort of the teachers and administrators and, and the bishop. Uh, and Bishop Soto, um, to keep many of the schools open through the pandemic. I mean, they followed all the rules. They, they weren't, you know, defying anything. They followed all the rules, but were able to just uh, really keep track of the cohort and, and, you know, send kids home when they needed to be sent home. Uh, and, and really, um, it was just a remarkable story. And, and I think a, a lot of people said, wow, that's, that's quite an accomplishment. And then those that came, you know, maybe they came because their public school was closed or it was just on, not closed really, but online only, you know, it wasn't in person. Um, and now that the, their public schools are back open, the retention rate in the Catholic schools in those families is very high because they like the education they were getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the education and also just the how personal mm-hmm. it is. Yep. The families feel known and seen. Yep. And, um, yeah, working at a school with a parish before, I just thought, wow, these, these families are really cared for. Yep. That's it, how it, I felt. It, it's, a, it, it's a family feel, you know, and, and obviously you, you like the fact that it's, it's okay to teach basic morality and it's okay to talk about God and it's okay to pray. Uh, not, 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 not that I'm advocating prayer in the public schools, because I know in my hometown, if we had prayers in the public schools, 
the school board would not pick a prayer that I liked. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't be my, it wouldn't be my favorite prayer. So I'm, I'm, I understand why they don't have prayer in the public school. But I went to public school, and I did pray before my math exams. <laughs> not necessarily out loud, but I prayed. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of prayer going on. <laughs> there is. I even, no pr- I even prayed school. at football games, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, the, the Catholic schools have really, really done a great job. How, how young is too young for theology of the body? Oh, I say even before, the, you know, a child is out of the womb. Wow. <laughs> when I was um, giving talks with, you know, my daughter in my womb, and just and aside from the talks, just saying, you're beautifully and wonderfully made. Hmm. You're made with a purpose. And just speaking to her, even though I couldn't see her, I felt her, and mm-hmm. I knew she was there. And just starting, I started there, before she was even out, just knowing she was made for a purpose, that she has a future vocation, um, and her ultimate vocation is to love. And so praying for her, even in the womb. Um, that's, that's but I beautiful. <laughs> Even as with a one-year-old and a four-year-old, I'm still talking to them about, you know, about vocation. I, I tell my four-year-old, you know what vocation means? Vocation means the call that, you know, God has for you. What you're going to be when you're older. If you're going to be a mother, if you're going to be a, a nun. Sometimes she says, oh, no, I want to be a, a, a wife and a mama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I said, still be open, you know, be open to God's call. Um, and we pray together, um, and yeah, we do talk about any questions that she has. I'm open with her, oh, that's um, good. but of course, yeah, she's four, and so uh, even when they're young, I say talk to them, start the talks about. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it seems like every year we learn new things. I mean, I, I look at my oldest kids and my youngest kids, and there's a pretty fair gap there, and, and what we knew about what goes on in the womb when my oldest were in utero compared to the youngest, it's, it's dramatically different. It's dramatically, mm-hmm. uh, there are things just because, uh, you know, you say, oh, well, you, you talk to your baby in the womb, you know, big deal. No, uh, we, we don't know what effect that has. Yeah, we don't know what effect that has. And yeah, the technology is so much more advanced. My friend was showing me that 3D ultrasound, seeing the baby's face before, you know, the baby's even out. And so it's just so beautiful how much more we know today. Indeed. Well, Clarissa, it is a joy to talk with you. Um, I'm sure you're going to have a big crowd on uh, October 14 for for the youth, 630 to 8, on Saturday, October 15, 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. all at St. Joseph Church, which is 280 Oak Tree Lane in Lincoln, created to love, understanding God's plan for us. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for your great ministry. And welcome to Sacramento. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. God bless. Hey, God bless you and your family. Take care. That's uh, uh, Clarissa Chichioko, and uh, new to the Diocese of Sacramento, she and her husband and their two kids. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. 
They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour. Uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. This is James McCormick, President and CEO of the Sacramento Choral Society and Orchestra. You're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thanks, James, for that wonderful introduction. Well, we're speaking of introductions, we are just pleased and thrilled to uh, invite in by phone uh, the very Reverend Mark Doherty, who is the uh, president and rector, new rector of St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park. Uh, Father, good day to you. Good afternoon, Mr. Dunning. Very glad to be with you and with your listeners. Did I butcher your last name or did you get it right? I think you got it just about right. Yeah, from <laughs> one Irish Catholic to another? There you go. Yes, it passes muster. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, tell us, uh, you uh, are, how, how new of, a, of the rector are you? Well, uh, relatively new, I suppose, just about two years. I took over on October 1st, 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, my predecessor, wonderful man, great mentor of mine, Dan Donahue, had to step down suddenly on account of uh, health concerns, mm -hmm. health reasons. And so Archbishop Cordelione and the Executive Committee of the Board of Trustees stepped in and appointed me on an interim basis as of October 1st of 2020. And then they opened up a search committee process that went all the way through the month of February. And at the end of that process, 
process, the full board decided to vote me on on a regular basis, if you will, to, to keep me on and grant me, a, uh, I think, a five-year renewable contract. And uh, it took away that name interim? Yes, although I think technically the word interim didn't apply, but mm -hmm. you know, we we're just using the word interim, yeah. So your president go. and rector, is that correct? That's correct, yes. So what's distinguished between those two jobs? Yes, no, it's a good question. Basically, you have two jobs put together. The rector position is the one that most people would probably think of when they think of someone in my position. And that's because the rector's job is really everything to do with the in-house formation process. So the rector has the canonical charge of forming the men, preparing the men for priesthood, and uh, signing off, if you will, on a man's progression through the, year, through the years of formation all the way to ordination. Mm -hmm. So the rector side is kind of the in-house. It, it might be equivalent to what you see in a high school and a university setting, the difference between the president and the principal. Right, right. So the, the rector is kind of like the principal. He's the in-house, days, uh, nuts and bolts, day-to-day -day kind of guy with the, the formation of the student. Yeah, you'll see, you'll see that model in a lot of uh, private, uh, basically Catholic high schools for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then the president job is uh, more the odd extra. It's everything to do with the board of trustees, mm -hmm. with fundraising, uh, interactions with civil authorities, and that kind of thing. And the reason, one of the reasons why <clears throat> my position is uh, is a dual position is because, of course, St. Patrick's is not just a house of formation, but it's also an accredited educational institution. Right. So we are accredited by WASC and ATS two of the, the prominent, uh, preeminent accrediting agencies in the United States. So if, if St. Patrick's were, like some other seminaries, uh, just a house of formation, then I would just be the rector. But because we have the academic accredited component, there's also the presidency. Very good. So I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing the word rector and director are related to each other. Yes, I mean, yeah, it's just a standard word for governance and yeah. charge. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So yeah. explain, uh, I know if, if people sometimes get, get a, a bit confused. Uh, here in the Diocese of Sacramento, we have, we have uh, seminarians who go to St. Patrick's. We also have seminarians who go to Mount Angel up, right. up in Oregon. Um, I explain what St. Patrick's does and how that, how that fits into the whole puzzle. Yes, yeah, so with respect to someone like Bishop Soto, for example, who decides where he'd like to send his guys, mm -hmm. I think there are a number of points of interest. One of them, first and foremost, is really what would be best for this particular man. Mm -hmm. um, each seminary is a little different, and each seminary has a certain number of strengths and weaknesses. And so the bishop, with his team, goes through the sermon about where uh, he thinks this particular guy would, would be uh, better suited for the course of his own formation. And it may be the case, as is the case with Bishop Soto, that um, he has a, a long-standing relationship with St. Patrick's Seminary, which, of course, is the seminary for the metropolitan region of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, which includes Sacramento. Um, and he, he may send a guy here. Now, one of the things that might distinguish us a bit from Mount Angel up in Oregon, for example, is that Mount Angel has a college seminary and a major seminary, mm -hmm. which is to say that uh, if Bishop Soto, for example, gets a younger fella, say someone who's 19 or 20, 18, 19, 20, and who hasn't done his undergraduate studies yet, he's very likely to send him to Mount Angel, mm -hmm. where that guy can get a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. uh, it'd be a bachelor's degree in philosophy, probably. 
but he'd do the four-year college course at Mount Angel. And then at the end of that uh, cycle, Bishop Soto might then decide, well, it'd be good to change things up a little bit, and we'll send you to St. Patrick's to do your major seminary, to do mm-hmm. what people generally understand to be seminary about, which is the, the theological education. So uh, just to be clear, when somebody gets a bachelor's degree, that's a, that is a bachelor's degree from a accredited university. That's right. So, so Mount Angel offers bachelor's degrees. We do as well. We have a, a, a termination bachelor's, which is to say that we can take a fellow who, let's say, has done his general education requirements or has an associate's degree in AA. Mm-hmm. We can take that fellow. We can incorporate those credits into our BA termination program, and then he does his two years of philosophy with us, mm-hmm. and then he gets a bachelor's degree from us in philosophy at the end. So that's one component that we can offer. Most of the men who are here at St. Patrick's to do their philosophy, it's two years of philosophy per the requirements of canon law, most of those guys are gentlemen who already have a bachelor's degree, so they come to us in their mid-20s or early 30s. They may have a bachelor's degree in biology, engineering, English, whatever the case may be. And so they need to come to us and they need to do their two years of philosophy. Mm-hmm. So these are the two years of what we call pre-theology, and then they will transition into the major center of the, the theological component, the four years of theology. Is, is there an academic degree that goes along with that for those that already have a bachelor's degree? So it's a very good question. It's a very technical question. Um, <laughs> We, we do not offer those men a bachelor's degree. Technically, you could. Uh, it is possible uh, to work through the accrediting agencies to be accredited to give a, another bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, um, that requires a certain amount of legwork with the accrediting agencies that we, to this point, haven't thought necessary. Not necessary, yeah. In order to do what we need to do. So t- tell us a little bit about yourself. You you grew up in the Archdiocese of San Francisco? I did. I grew up mostly in San Francisco, <clears throat> in the northwest part of the city, mm-hmm. uh, a neighborhood called the Richmond District, mm-hmm. just off the Golden Gate Bridge and Presidio. Um, the third of four boys, we grew up in San Francisco, French mother, American father. And uh, when we were young, we were at the Lycée Francais, which is the French government school in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then when my parents decided that we would stay in the United States rather than moving back to France. My parents transferred us over to St. Monica's, the parochial school. Right. So were you born in France? Well, I'm, I'm the only one born in the States. My okay. three brothers were born in Paris, but I, uh-huh. my American grandparents insisted on one grandson, one grandchild being born in the States. And so we're, my parents they were living in Africa at the time, and so my mother traveled from Sierra Leone to Tacoma, Washington. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, my paternal grandfather was a retired colonel at Fort Lewis. At Fort Lewis, sure. There you go. So she traveled to uh, to Tacoma and, and uh, gave birth to me there. So I'm the one born in the States, but my three other brothers were born in Paris. So how many different countries do you have citizenship in? Well, just two. I, mean, I have a French so Just, just France and the United States, yeah. yeah. No, but when we were young, we were in uh, Sierra Leone and Burkina Faso. Oh, sure. Funny, funny enough, a couple of years ago, Pope Francis created the Bishop of Ouagadougou, wow. uh, a cardinal. And so the list comes out, and we're like, Ouagadougou, where is that? And I could answer right away, oh, that's uh, Burkina Faso, the former Upper Volta. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so Ouagadougou is a real place. 
Wow. So, so were your folks missionaries, or what were they doing there? At the time, my father worked for Catholic Relief Services. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. one of my favorite. I occasionally, I uh, uh, frequently, I uh, get, speak to a group or something, uh, not not a Catholic group, you know, and and uh, they'll, they'll say, "Well, there's a there's a small honorarium," uh, and and I say, "Well, give it to Catholic Relief Service." Um, um, if anybody needs relief, it's Catholics, you know, and, yeah, and they all right. laugh, <laughs> but they, yeah, they send the check there, you know, and I've, I've just always had such a, a strong feeling for the great work that Catholic Relief Service does. Sure. My, my dad professionally has always been uh, fundamentally passionate and invested in development work, and so mm-hmm. at the time, he worked for Catholic Relief Services. Well, so then, then we, uh, my mom wanted to move back to Paris, and my dad didn't really want to do that. So we moved to the States, and then but when they decided we were going to stay in the States, <clears throat> they transferred us out of the Lycée into St. Monica's, and then we did Sacred Heart Cathedral Prep, which is the Christian Brothers Daughters of Charity High School right. in the city, downtown by the cathedral. And then I did two years of college. I went off to UC Davis. I followed my ah. uh, two little brothers. And You're an Aggie. I, 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 well, yes, I was for two years, yes. <laughs> you, you, That's right. I you got mud on days. your boots. There you go. Yes. Yeah. So I lived in Davis for two years. Wow. Followed, followed my older brothers who were there. Uh, but at the end of my second year, <clears throat> it was clear to me that the Lord was inviting me to move on. So I dropped out of school and entered the novitiate for the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, the California province of the, of the mm. Jesuits. And I was with the Jesuits for 10 years. Started out uh, with the novitiate in Los Angeles, in Culver City, more precisely. And then in the course of those 10 years, I um, was very, very blessed to um, be the beneficiary of many wonderful assignments from Indian reservations to East Timor to Vietnam mm-hmm. to high school teaching at Jesuit High. I taught at Jesuit High for three years. Enjoyed in Carmichael there. Oh, in Carmichael, our Jesuit yeah. High. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I was, I was a... I was at, uh, in Carmichael for three years, wow. Stanford, and then, of course, the educational opportunities, uh, Fordham, St. Louis University, and Paris. So wonderful opportunities in the course of those 10 years. And then at the end of those 10 years uh, was transition out of the Society of Jesus. And at that point, now Bishop Daly, but at the time Father Tom Daly, who right. was the vocation director for San Francisco, gave me a call and uh, gave me a job at Marin Catholic for a year at taught at Marin Catholic. 2010 to 2011, and then I came here to St. Patrick's as a student, as a seminarian, in 2011. So I did three years, 2011 through 2014, ordained in 2014, and then sent off to parish work in the mission district of San Francisco in the southeast part of town. You were, you were a, a missionary. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Those were two very, very good years. I had a terrific uh, mentor as a pastor, Father Moises Agudo, was mm-hmm. a terrific pastor. Learned a lot from him. Most of the work was in Spanish, so I got to work on my Spanish. The people were wonderful, um, and very, very much enjoyed those two years. And then the Archbishop sent me off to Switzerland. Wow. So I was at uh, the University of Freiburg for four years, 2016 to 2020, working on, uh, in the field of moral theology. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Archbishop asked me to come on back to St. Patrick's in the fall of 2020, so I moved back in August. And it's just at that juncture again that... Uh, my predecessor stepped down for health reasons, and I took over in October of 2020. Wow, that's quite a, quite a story. So when you were in Davis, did you attend the Newman Center there? You know, when I was a student at Davis, way back in the day, so this would have been 1998 to 2000, mm-hmm. so a long time ago, 
Um, truth be told, the vast majority of the undergrads, the students that I knew, we went to St. James. Oh, you did? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's a touchy subject, but um, I, think, I think most of the young folks felt comfortable and were enthusiastic about St. James. So I remember going to the evening mass, Sunday evening yep. mass at yep. uh, St. James. Seven o'clock mass. Yep. That, that, I, I, that's I wonder my, uh, I imagine they still have it. That's it, huh? I imagine they still have that. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. But actually, the Newman um, community attends Mass now at St. James, even though they still have the the community there uh, at uh, 5th and B, you know, where the the old church was, the old old St. James, which I attended as a child. Uh, before so that's the old St. James. I don't think that's the old St. James, the brick church there on the oh, right across from the park. Yeah, about two I blocks from the campus. That. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. I just learned. And for that. for for many of us growing up in Davis, that was. I mean, we moved we moved to Davis years and years ago, uh, shortly after World War II, because Dad had not finished college and had gone into the war, and wanted to go back to college at age forty. And I don't know. We were living in Portland. I don't know how they picked Davis, but they did. And uh, wow. we're, we're very glad they did. And uh, a number of us, uh, I ended up in Aggie, and uh, t- uh, two of my daughters are now Aggies, and another daughter already graduated from Davis. So oh, we got well, Davis in the good. blood. Yes, well, I think the school has uh, grown even oh, more yeah. since I was at right. They went Division One. They went Division uh, One, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. and in so fact, they're, they're going to play Cal uh, to open the football season. Yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Davis and Cal right there. Right. Forty thousand yeah. students now at UC Davis. There you go. Yeah, I think when I was there, it was about thirty. You know, yeah, when, when I was there, it was about forty-eight hundred. <laughs> yeah. We actually knew each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I was still there, it still felt very much like a sleepy college town. Everyone had a bike. And, yep, know, yep. It, they, it's still very much uh, known as a, a bike town, and the, uh, the college is a. In fact, the college is closed to to cars. You know, it's all bikes. Oh, still. Still, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. It's kind of part of the part of the ethic there, I guess. So yes, my two years at Davis, I became an expert bike rider. You know, I learned oh, yeah, bike, yeah, you know, how to bike without my hands. You, you can tell some of the students, especially some of the international students, you can see them. We have bike lanes there. You can see them. They're, they're weaving, and you can tell, man, they did not grow up on a bicycle, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you have a, a, a great uh, gala coming up uh, on September the 10th. We do, yes. It's our annual gala. You know, so as I said, I've been in truck uh, for two years now, and one of the main components of my job the past two years has been to begin renovating and restoring what is a magnificent building here. For those of your listeners who are familiar with St. Patrick's, they'll, they'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, St. Patrick's is a magnificent edifice, and um, it really behooves us uh, for the sake of patrimony and for the sake of... Uh, uh, pride in our archdiocese and the church in general to maintain the building. And as a result, uh, I launched a series of significant renovation restoration projects in February of 2021 mm-hmm. that have continued for the past year and a half. And at the helm of each one of those projects has been a knight or dame of Malta. Mm-hmm. And in working with these knights and dames, many of whom are on my board of trustees, it gave me pause and I came to realize uh, much more deeply how much St. Patrick's has depended on and benefited from the contributions of knights and dames over the course of many, many decades. And uh, it occurred to me that the Order of Malta to this point, to this juncture, had not been acknowledged officially, if you will, for all of its contributions. And I thought, well, it's high time that we honor the Order of Malta 
and all the knights and dames who have contributed so much in the way of time, talent, and treasure to St. Patrick's and our mission. So I designated Malta, the Order of Malta, as the honoree for this year's gala, and we're very, very glad to, um, to do so. And we'll be welcoming a whole bunch of knights and dames from across the region for that evening. And Mr. Ken Olson, His Excellency Ken Olson, who is the president of the Western Association, uh, will receive the honor on behalf of all the knights and dames. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, it's a, it's a tremendous organization. I know we, we frequently have guests on before they make their annual uh, trip to Lourdes. Yes, in May. Uh, usually, yeah. yeah, in May, and, and take along the Malads um, from, from the diocese. There's a, there's a handful of them here in Sac- the Sacramento area, but I think they're, they're, they're part of the San Francisco group. Uh, That's correct. Yeah. Yes, the Western region. I think right. is just one right. way to call it. Well, and they—they like, they are. They're tremendous people in the community. They're just, you know, it's—it's. Yeah. It's, and and you know, that Lourdes pilgrimage is a source of tremendous conversion and grace for, yes. for so many. I was just having lunch with uh, uh, someone who happened to be a Malad on this past year's pilgrimage, mm-hmm. and uh, she described for me a tremendous encounter of grace that she had in Lourdes. Wow, very, very beautiful testimony. So. Um, important for your listeners to know, well, one, again, how how grace-filled a place Lourdes is mm-hmm. and how um, how important grace-filled the Malta pilgrimage to Lourdes is for those who go. Yeah, that's what the, uh, that's uh, we've we've had some of the Malads on the program as well, and uh, the, the the stories are as you describe. They, they they give you tears in your eyes, and uh, um, you hear that over and over again about about Lourdes, and and it's so great for the uh, the Knights of Malta to take those people and uh, really really show them what what faith is all about. Mm-hmm. So this the the the, the gala is. September the 10th, and t- tickets, as I understand it, are available until the 4th. Uh, I think people, that's right. People yeah. can, and it, it's right at St. Patrick's? It's at St. Patrick's, and so, you know, really what that makes for is the best party of the year because, uh, again, those who have been to St. Patrick's know that I've got a very, very big front yard here with palm <laughs> trees and a great facade, and it's September, so the weather will be beautiful. And it's such a big front yard, if you will, that we can put out as many tables as needed as uh, ticket purchases come in. So there's plenty of room. Folks are uh, welcome to continue purchasing tickets up till, I think, as you said, uh, September four, I believe, is almost right on the cusp. Yeah. Yeah, the date. And uh, it's a, yeah, it's a wonderful evening. We begin with vespers, with fun vespers, mm-hmm. at four thirty, and then folks who want tours can get tours, and others uh, go to the cocktail hour, and then eventually we sit down to dinner and. Uh, and have a couple little speeches there for the honoree and uh, the auction component. And uh, I think everyone really enjoys it. And it's outdoors. That's wonderful. It's outdoors. We string up the lights. Um, it makes for a beautiful evening. Of course, the weather will be fantastic because it's uh, Menlo Park. It's the best weather in the world. It is. It is. Unfailingly beautiful here. And by September, it's cooled down a little bit. Although this year, you know, it's still pretty warm out there right now. Right. Right. So I think we're going to have a relatively warm September, but uh, it'll be very nice, uh, I'm sure. Well, you know, I was looking at a, a, a small photo of uh, the event, you know, and you can see the crowd, and I could see somebody on the stage at the podium, and I saw these lights strung up, and I'm going, I can't figure out what this building is, you know, and because and, it, it's dark, and it wasn't obvious that yeah. it was outdoors just from the photo. But it is, that yes. makes that makes yeah. more sense of the, these these yeah. the lights being strong, yeah. Yeah, you know the, the podium is just out there on the front steps, mm-hmm. and then 
and then we string up these lights from the building to the trees to the palm tree to create a, a little decor and a little light. Looks um, a little bit like a zip line. It is, yeah, yeah. You know, the guys they come in the afternoon, they, they yeah. hang up these lights. It's <laughs> your standard kind of string oh, light sort of routine. Yeah. So the phone number there at at, at uh, St. Patrick's is six five zero three two five five six two one. And uh, you can get your tickets until uh, September the 4th. And I'm sure people would love to have you, uh, no matter where, where you're from. And, uh, Father, it is just an honor and a, a joy to talk with you. And I, hope, I am very, very glad to be with you and with your listeners anytime. I hope our paths cross again soon. Likewise. Thank hey, you now. Have a good afternoon. You too. Thanks, Father. That's uh, uh, Father uh, Mark Doherty, who is the new, well, relatively almost two years now, uh, president and rector of St. Patrick's Seminary, where some of our seminarians attend uh, in Menlo Park. And he's, he's right. Gabe, you grew up sort of in that area. That's The weather's always perfect. First guest went to school in San Diego. Next guest is in residence in Menlo Park. <laughs> Neither place is at 110 in the summer. <laughs> I like the summer, though. I do. It's God's gift. I mean, look at look at all the crops we grow in our area. That it's it's God's bounty. You know, you, the the work of human hands. It's right here. We we feed the world, and you you can't grow the same quantity of crops and the great variety of crops without old soul. I know, appreciate the crops. I really do. I don't appreciate the 110 degree heat. You know, I, what I don't understand is, you know, I'm in Yellow County and, and one of the leading tomato producers county and Fresno County is pretty big too on tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Processing tomatoes, you know, they all go to the cannery. But what I don't understand, these, these, these t- uh, tomatoes are out in the sun, no shade, in the sun mm-hmm. from sun up Till sundown, it could be 140 degrees out. And if I put a tomato plant in the sun in my backyard, it instantly wilts. Mm-hmm. Instantly. Or yeah. it burns up. Just burns up. Doesn't matter how much yeah. you water it, it burns up. I don't understand how these tomatoes can be out in the field. And it, it doesn't matter. I've never heard somebody say, well, we had a hot summer and they all died. No, tomatoes are resilient. That's amazing. Yeah. I, but, I mean, I you know. I, I planted sunflowers and, and they've sprouted like crazy and now I can't figure out what to do with them because they're, you know, eight feet tall and they're bending over and falling and, falling you know, yeah. That neck just, yeah, I, it yeah. starts to go. Yeah, yeah. Gone. So now I got to, you know, I got to put, you know, put sticks up and, and tie them up so they stay up nice but and are tall. Gonna, are you going to harvest the seeds? Yeah, we already started harvesting the seeds. I mean, not for like, just for the kids just to play for, with. And yeah. You, yeah. Well, and then you can replant them. Yeah. Yeah, and, but yeah, so it's like, it's great. The the that that part of living in the valley is wonderful. I mean, you don't you don't get that kind of thing in Arizona. But well, sunflowers are of all the flowers, all the plants. It's the one that well, the anthropomorphic. They you can see yeah. human in it. Yeah, know, they look happy. They follow the sun, and the morning they're they're all bright and shiny. They're facing yeah. the east, and they're they're all happy in there. Yeah. And then by evening, they're they their necks are just like just like people wake up in the morning like, happy, ready to go. It's and like they're they're bowing in prayer. In the I'll evening. see you put a much nicer spin yeah. on it than I was. <laughs> it, it's just and you go, I, God made sunflowers. That's the first flower He made. I, and daisies I, can't be far behind. Yeah, daisies are close. Daisies, daisies are very happy. But the the, the the sunflowers look like a community. 
Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's like they're they're in a papal audience because so you, you see a field of them. There must be ten million. Yeah, they're all facing you, and they're all facing you. Yeah, and they're all smiling. It's funny though when you give like a, a bouquet. If you give f- f- roses, you know that's very like sentimental. I was like, oh, that's yeah, beautiful. Right. But you give someone a, a bouquet of, ra- of daisies and like sunflowers, everyone's like, oh, that's so nice. Oh, they're so yeah. happy. They, it's they, such they, a wonderful, they you know. Light up. Yeah. yeah, and I know because I used to deliver flowers. So I have, I have, I have not. I'm speaking from from experience here. Is there any job you never had? No, I've you done. All jobs. I've worked in almost every industry that you can think of. I've done so many jobs; it's ridiculous. I would, I would love to call myself a renaissance man. I think I just couldn't settle for the longest time. So yeah, but um, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I love, I, I do love the Bay Area weather. The, the fog is. I try to explain to my kids how amazing the fog is, and then, then we went to Half Moon Bay for a weekend, and they finally understood. Right. My oldest son uh, lived in Half Moon Bay till just a little while ago, and moved to Redwood City. He and his wife and four kids. Same fog. And, <laughs> but uh, boy, Half Moon Bay, they're. Their home didn't even, I mean, no, nobody in Half Moon Bay even has air conditioning. Where in no. California would you not have air conditioning? I never used my air conditioning in my car until I moved up here when I was 18. I had to, I went to turn on my truck, and of course it didn't work because I never knew that I never had to use it, and it, it just never worked, and I had to have it serviced because I was like, oh, I, I have to have this up here. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was ugh. But I do miss that. It's the one thing I miss, the Bay Area, is the weather. Well, that's one of the reasons I think it, so many people live there. Yeah, exactly. It's because of the weather that's going to uh do it for for us for today thanks for listening everyone god bless we'll talk to you again soon i feel burning deep inside of It's moving.